bronche, bronche. That's how we say brunch. Here's to the ladies who stay busy with their lunch. Yo anda bochinche. Paquete con pinche. You know what they said? Got too busy, got too thinking. Aquí en esta mesa se respeta como ñón. Si la copa está llena, yo te doy la bendición. So what if we get batches? We from the Bronx. That's it. Don't get it twisted. We be going to Manhattan. Be a queen. Be a boss. Ladies who brunch are popping off. Hey, we pop, pop, and pop it off. We, we pop, pop, All pop right. The episode's about to start. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Bronche. I am Julissa. What's good, everybody? This is Skittles, and today is a very special episode for me because one of my favorite people in the world is joining us. She is a singer. She is also a writer. She's part of Team Skittles, writing some of my episodes, some of my videos, but most importantly, she is the lead alto vocalist for Pershing's own U.S. Army band, Sergeant First Class Jabril. Who the fuck are you? That sounds very good when you say it all like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, you just introduced the hell out of me. Um, I'm Juan's, one of my best friends, Julissa and I. We've all known each other since high school and we've been rolling together since we were what? 14, 14, Yes, 15. literally. So, um, like you said, I write for, you know, Skittles Music TV. Um, I sing. I'm in the United States Army Band. He just introduced me by my new rank, Sergeant First Class. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I sing in the group, the Army Voices. So I sing alto in that group. And yeah, that's what I do for a living. That's what I'm about. Yes. So tell us, so you, you touched a little bit about high school. I'd love to hear a little bit about like, you know, childhood Adiza and what got her into her artistic self. Like tell us a little bit about that time in your life and like how you've evolved into this full fucking sergeant in music. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of a crazy story. It's like a very wild ride. Cause I was thinking about it today recently. I'm like, wow, life is crazy. Like my whole like I hate when people ask like what's your five-year plan like what's your 10-year plan because I promise you I have never had a plan my life is no plans just five (laughs) (laughs) I'm truly just like kind of mostly been like feeling things out day by day and like winging it so I knew um when I was a little kid like my mother said like the first time I was like singing I was like three in preschool and like sang in the holiday show and I just remember thinking like when I was a little I was like oh everybody could sing like I, I thought it was like talking so I was like, oh, you know, like, this is just what you do. And then when I realized like, oh, it's a talent, people really appreciate it. And I really like doing it. So I just always remember, like, kind of just following that feeling, like, like anywhere I could go, anywhere I could do that activity, anywhere I could like be on the stage, be doing something. Um, I basically just followed that. So I did a lot of like in elementary school, I was in the, the chorus, the PS22 chorus, which is now- Yes, that has that YouTube thing. They have a whole yes, YouTube channel. Like, they're like wild famous now for like <laughs> kids. Like the second year that chorus was in, ex- in existence, that's the year I joined. Um, wow. So that was like, that was like foundational and so important and so much fun for me. And then in junior high school, I was doing, I did the musicals and everything. And I did a lot of community theater. Um, like my mother really encouraged me to like do stuff outside. And then when it came time to go to high school, I had the choice between going to Curtis, the IB program, which is like a zone school, like a school like that I was, that was like in my neighborhood or LaGuardia. So I had auditioned for LaGuardia and I'd gotten in and <laughs> oh yes hand bringing back the yes hand <laughs> ah, so fine you know 
Um, so I had auditioned and it was really funny because my mother is actually an alum. She went to music and art and she started out as a vocal major and then she switched to being an instrumental major. Mm. Which I was like, why would you do that? But okay. Like, <laughs> um, so she had actually gone, but she didn't really want me to go at the time. Like she was, she was like, oh, I'm going to let her audition. But I think she was like kind of surprised when I got in. She was like, damn, now I got to like actually consider letting her go because the community <laughs> was crazy. Like I, I, I grew up in Staten Island, New York City's most problematic borough. <laughs> and so if you know, if you're from New York, you know the commute from Staten Island to literally anywhere else in New York is a nightmare. So it involves a boat. Mm. So my parents, I was like 13. And they were like, I don't know about this. And I just basically begged and begged and begged. I was like, look, I, I just had to be, I was like, I felt pulled towards LaGuardia. I was like, I know I could do this honors program and have fun there. I know the people in the school, but like, I was like, I think I have to go to the school, you know? And yeah. so I basically begged them and they let me do it. I spent the first two and a half years taking the express bus into the city. Cause we live so deep in Staten Island over by the Gothels bridge, basically in New Jersey. Wait, how oh did that school metro card work out for you? Did that it didn't. Happen? So my parents, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the green metro card did not work on the express buses. You have to pay to take oh, that five dollars one way. And so my parents every week would get me a twenty-five dollar regular metro card to go with my green metro card. And in the morning, because we live so far from the ferry, I would take the express bus straight into the city, get off at Times Square, get on the one train, and then drop off at like oh it's and then in the evenings I would do the whole train to the ferry to the bus thing and that usually took at least an hour and a half an hour 45 generally and so yeah they don't want me doing that like early early in the morning so they would pay that $25 a week just for me to be able to get on the bus know I was safe like it was crazy and so we moved halfway through high school and I lived closer to the ferry um so oh yeah, <laughs> uh, uh. that's you have some. I mean, I already knew you had wonderful parents, but like that, they're wonderfully wonderful. <laughs> when I say that they're like they were, you know, like my writers, like they were like supportive from the beginning, because clearly, what a crazy endeavor that was. Like, yeah, you know, and they were just like, okay, this is what she wants to do. We're gonna make it happen, and we're gonna encourage it. So, and thank God they did, because like going to LaGuardia, we got all these experiences that like to this day helped me in my like professional life. Like mm. all the different types of singing we got to do, all the classical singing, all the musical theater, all the contemporary new music singers were one and yes. Like we had a music writing, a songwriting class and we got to do contemporary singing there, mm -hmm. you know, and ensemble singing or choral singing. Like, all, everything that I did in LaGuardia, I do today at some point Yes, <laughs> for, my, for my job, you know? And you have a really interesting story of how you fell into your job. And I say fell into, not even like... <laughs> like I said, no plans, just vibes. We'll <laughs> <laughs> get into that later. So. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, so that was that was it just like I really was just following the music just literally it sounds kind of cliche and kind of corny but I was just like you know following singing and just like where is this gonna take me who knows and yeah landed right in the middle of Manhattan with Yaltu and a bunch of other our crazy friends <laughs> mm. and it kind of all blossomed from there you know yeah 
Well, Adiza, let's get into our brunche questions. And I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite brunche bebida when you are out with the girls at brunch? Okay, the way I miss brunch so much right now. Oh. Um, so I'm a class, I'm kind of a, it might be kind of boring, but I'm a, a very little classics. I love the mimosa, a flavored mimosa. If you have like, if you've got like a pomegranate, if you've got a mango, like, mm. give me, um, num, num, give me, give me. Um, if you remember Juan El Centro brunch <sighs> in DC, one of my favorite, favorite brunches in DC. Oh my like God. $40, bottomless food, bottomless drinks. <laughs> like, and it's all like little, like all the, all the food that you order is like small portions. So uh-huh. you can keep on like. Yes keep ordering and you could sit like for there from like 10 o'clock to like 5 p.m and just honestly it is god it's one of the things that covid has taken from me that i miss so much and their margaritas though their Their margaritas are ridiculous their mimosas are ridiculous then like we've had experiences where we don't even get a table we sit at the bar so the bartender just starts like instead of making mimosas like just starts pouring champagne like (laughs) just it is a magical experience like it it oh it is my favorite brunch in DC and I miss the hell out of it. <laughs> so right now I'm not having my mimo- my Sunday mimosa. I'm having my Sunday rosé because I you know don't really have any champagne on me right now. But yeah, so give me a mimosa, any flavor of mimosa, but also an El Centro margarita. Yo, yes. So with that with that mimosa with that margarita, what is your go to brunch plate like? Like you can eat this at any brunch that you again to go to. classics. I love any type of Benedict. I love mm. a crab cake Benedict because now living in the Dean Barry, they put they put crab in everything down here. So Ooh. if I could get a something, anything with crab. Um, yes, I love all the savory things too. All, um, shrimp and grits is one of my favorite dishes like on earth. So if there's shrimp Ooh. and grits on your brunch, that's the second person this season that has said they fuck with a shrimp and grits like and that. Grits. Yes. I just need I need like lots of garlic in my shrimp and grits because Mm -hmm. like if it's not buttery and garlicky then like buttery garlicky cheesy yes put it all in everything you got put the whole spice cabinet in there I want it okay (laughs) my only thing is that some of the brunch spots be fronting on you and they give you like four little shrimp and I'm like no that's true like especially if the shrimps are small don't be stingy don't don't be crazy yeah don't don't be stingy i feel like that's a personal affront i feel like that's white supremacy at work i don't know how or why but i feel like it like like that's not not, because it's not a cheap dish like you know when you order it it's it's grits (laughs) grits is already like the cheapest food you could get (laughs) i'm like yeah i know shrimp is kind of pricey but them grits ain't cost you nothing Nothing, okay (laughs) I want at least eight shrimp. Right. Thank you. I, and you say eight, and I think that that's being nice. I think 10 should be the, I think there should be 10. Yeah, depending on the size of your ten, Yeah. Give me, give me more. Give me more. Eight to 10. Eight to 10. Solid. Okay. Low key, shrimp is that kind of food where it's like, if you're getting full, you're like, I'm not going to eat anything else, but I'm going to finish this. I'm going to finish this. I'm never yes. going to shrimp on the plate. And let's factor in tail, tail length too. Like if, yes. if, if, if my shrimp has a bigger tail, then I should get more shrimp. Right. Also, <laughs> if you include the tail, like the shell in my dish. Are you making me work? 
give me more shrimp because I have to do labor. I have to work for this shrimp. This is my hill to die on. If you're giving, if I'm in a restaurant and I'm eating a dish that involves shrimp and the fork and silverware, <laughs> okay? And I have to dip my hands in the food to eat my meal. I want, I want more shrimp. First of all, <laughs> stop doing that. Stop doing that. <laughs> stop making me get my hands messy. I very viscerally respond to that. Like, yeah, <laughs> it is really problematic. And I think people, I actually just get upset. I'm like, you're a full restaurant. Why is there any shell on it? Why are there shells in this? Actually, I'm not having part of the flavoring, you're trying to like trap some sort of dark, like, unless there's a method to it, like, please, if I'm paying, like, can you? Please finish the job, cook the whole meal, take the tails off mm-hmm. the shrimp. That's all I, take the tails off the shrimp. 2021. That's the energy. Yes. For the, the next year. That's my new yeah. campaign. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, so tell us, Adiza, what was it like going out to eat when you were growing up? Growing up, um, I feel like we didn't go out to eat a lot, unless it was like special occasions. Although um, I have a lot of early memories of like takeout from like particular places. Like my dad used to bring home like takeout from like Chinatown a lot. Like he used to love getting like calamari from Chinatown. Um, but like generally it was more like, oh, it was a special occasion, somebody's birthday. It's, you know, we're celebrating something. Um, so it wasn't like a regular, like every week or every day occurrence, you know. Um, but I do have a lot of memories of like my mom taking me out with like certain like friends of hers. Um <laughs> And like one of the things I, I really like loved about like my growing up experience was like my mother was like very into trying, getting me to try new things like all the time, you know? So I have memories of being taken to like a Turkish restaurant for the first time when I was like eight and like trying all the foods and stuff. And I tried sushi for the first time when I was like nine. Wow. Like, yeah, like they were very much like, all right, we're gonna like, you know, this is part of, this is part of how you learn about the world, you know, and other cultures and stuff, so. That's beautiful. My mother to this day has never eaten sushi. What? Okay. And like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like I do, I do remember a lot of times being like, oh, like, you know, obviously, like, let's get McDonald's. Like, do you have McDonald's money? Like, that kind of a lot. Like, we, I got, we have food at the house a lot, you know? <laughs> but yeah, like. So, so. Tell us what is your favorite bochinche topic to discuss? Um, I feel like whenever we're like really in the mix when we're brunching, it's like obviously our love lives and the Mm -hmm. mess that they tend to be. Um, Yeah, like the general tea between like friends and um, that and like pop culture stuff that like once you Mm -hmm. (laughs) get like the stuff that you get between like songs because then you get like you get like. (laughs) by the song that's playing well, now because like, I don't understand why okay we need to talk <laughs> about giving her her flowers <laughs> that's the stuff that's oh god that's the stuff I miss you can't you can't really oh, like man. replicate that in your own home it's not the same. <laughs> it's not it's not and it's so funny because I think that like I, I I've missed brunch and I haven't gone to like a proper brunch but winter's really gonna make brunch a hard sell oh, yeah. like especially with indoor dining and all that stuff. It's yeah. just, it's, I'm, I'm sad. I'm oh, yeah. sad. <laughs> I barely, since all this has popped off, I've barely done a lot of even outdoor dining. Like I'm really just doing mostly takeout. And so the prospect of like indoor dining 
when it starts getting colder is, is not happening for me at all. And mm. I'm not sitting outdoors and being cold. I hate that idea so much. <laughs> like I'm, if I'm cold, I'm stressed out. So I can't enjoy it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a wrap for me. 2020 until 2021. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Let's, Let's see. see who knows. all right so now let's get into our cheers to the ladies who section where we shout out dope people doing dope shit this is such a big shout out to local ninja yes we are so proud of Loco. And like, I'm here taking all the, but Loco, I met Loco because of Yes. So, <laughs> for you, I can imagine for you seeing the come up and the change. Like oh, yeah, absolutely. I love seeing him grow into what he actually has become. I feel like um, from when I met him and we did Pretty Gaze, you know, he was still, wow. you know, feeling his swag or whatever, but it still was like very much like figuring out what it was and how he wanted to express himself and now seeing him really grow into it and like using makeup but still being very masculine and really repping that masculine look yeah. I would say even like inspired me in my like you know a gender expression because it really is you like we need people like that who are just like not afraid to just stand in their you know in their own essence or whatever they yeah. they feel that they want to you know put out to the world and just do it confidently so yeah yes and, and I think that Logo's done a great job at least on IG his content he's looking always real beautiful real pretty in any moment even when it's a status of distress he looks very pretty yes. in the picture and it had me thinking like damn like how are people maintaining body status over COVID? Because I'll tell you, I was not um, doing much maintenance. I think that my happen chance weight loss that started to happen, like put me in a place where it looked like I was doing body stuff. Like I was glowing a little bit, you know, but like I realized, especially with the winter coming and like I'm looking at my closet and stuff, I'm like, oof. I need to put effort if I want to do some, like if I want to be a baddie this winter, because last winter I wasn't a baddie. So my closet isn't a baddie. Closet. <laughs> I need to go baddie clothes shopping so that I could really participate. And I'm like, damn, like, how am I really going to pull this off? Like, how am I going to pull off the hair? Am I going to really keep up these acrylic nails that I, I committed myself it's to on so a whim? Beautiful, like, by the way, I am so jealous. <laughs> it's my first time. It's my oh first my time. Oh my God, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I've been actually I had been doing press-ons like before that and I just I just get tired of the glue and I was like fuck it I want to feel confident when I'm picking shit up and not like I'm gonna pop off mm. um but I want to hear from you guys what are some of your how are y'all keeping y'all body status over over all of COVID? oh my god because <laughs> these I know you got a story for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a journey over here um, straight it. <laughs> oh, the first few months I'm not gonna lie I was like all right well I guess we're all giving up um and I but then I I really miss like I love getting dressed like I love mm -hmm. getting dressed. I like I kind of treat myself like a Barbie doll like I imagine myself like going through the wardrobe I love hair and makeup and like I didn't realize how much pleasure I got from that experience of like the act of putting myself together every day to like go somewhere 
um, even if I didn't want to go anywhere, but even if I didn't want to go to the place, like I enjoy the act of getting ready. And I didn't realize how much pleasure like that brought to my life until I just didn't have it anymore. Um, so I started thinking, I was like, okay, like I got to figure out what I'm going to do. So I wasn't getting my hair done for a while. My, my hairdresser was, she was closed. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm still deep conditioning. I'm taking care of the hair, I'm taking care of the natural, you know, I stopped go. I didn't, I haven't been back to the nail salon in a very long time. So I started getting these press ons <laughs> that I can, you know, change the color and everything and being in the military, which we'll talk about later, but like, I can't wear colors generally. I can't, I'm mm. really supposed to have clear nails. Um, so I don't wear nail polish a lot or like a lot of like looks. fancy designs. Like and you don't do designs or anything. I don't do yeah. that. Not until like Christmas really. Yeah. Um, but I like to have, still, I like to have my nails done because being a singer, I'm used to having like attention on my hands and like if I'm holding a microphone and I'm on a big screen behind me or something, it just makes me feel more put together. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, all right, gotta figure out the nails. I'm tired of looking like a stonemason's wife. Like, <laughs> let me get these press-ons. I can do my own pedicure. Um, I miss my eyebrow lady so much. I have messed up the shape so badly. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be so upset the day I do go back because <laughs> her work has been destroy <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I have learned to do for myself since come on was to wax I bought my own Brazilian waxing kit we well, all hopped on zoom and watched her do it the first time it happened and I have video footage I was very honored that I was allowed to be. It was, uh, yeah, I, we've been, um, a group of friends has been called uh, codependent. By <laughs> but I knew I needed support the first time that I was going to be, you know, going through the bush myself. Okay. I needed, you know, all hands on deck and it was an experience. It, took it was hilarious for you <laughs> i was gonna say y'all were laughing i actually found none of it funny i was very like horrified like in pain like i was like how is she doing this like after she was done you saw i was like all right well i i got it <laughs> <laughs> did it was upset the, the level of bravery that you had and the level of respect i have for oh. you after self fucking brazilian waxing i, I have a i have a like a, a video but then also a screenshot of the video from after you like pulled it where like you're like <laughs> this against the wall and your abs are flexed and your arms your head your face is just like yeah. <laughs> that, first, that first strip took me out of my body <laughs> I, truly, I truly left the surface of the earth for a minute and I like floated above and looked down and was like what is even happening like how did I get here like how did I get to this point and like we have another friend Samantha who like has been doing this forever and I was like well that's crazy like and she Lynching. Yeah, she just, you know, like it's nothing. And the first time I, I started getting waxed like a little over a year ago and I, you know, getting it done professionally, you're in and out in like 20 minutes. It is a nightmare of a 20 minutes, but it is fast, right? Mm -hmm. And the first time I did it, I was like, how the hell do you do this to yourself? And right. now that I know, you can't really tell me shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are a new level of woman. I'm a different woman now. <laughs> And it's honestly gotten easier, like, because I still haven't been going back to the salon. And you, once you start waxing, you really can't stop. Like, they're serious about that. Like, if you want to maintain the, like, growth pattern, it, like, comes back finer and everything. You can't start shaving because it, it messes the whole thing up. And it makes mm. it Yeah, it really, it's, it's a whole thing. Like, there's a reason 
you don't like go back and forth between <laughs> methods. So I was like, okay, if I want to maintain this, I got to learn. And I did. And whoo, like, yeah, nah, I'm good. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the last time I had ever gotten waxed years ago, I never went back because some of my skin came off. And so I had like exposed skin, which it, I had been doing waxing, like not super frequently, but frequently enough that like it wasn't my first time and I wasn't like acting funny. So it wasn't like I did something or I don't know what happened. I don't know if the wax got too hot and like burned some of the skin. I, did they I don't use know a strip what or did they use, was it hard wax? I think it was strip it was I, a, at that point. That so was. my waxer used to, use strips as well and like when I first told Sammy that she was like no <laughs> and I was like mm. oh, is that bad she was like yeah but I never had an issue but now that I'm like doing it myself it's hard wax and I can see why it's a little bit better and I've done the hard wax before too because I'll be honest I is not I never found like one lady that I was faithful to I was faithful to whatever price <laughs> faithful to the wallet <laughs> whatever, whatever I can find the group on that's why I was getting my coochie wax um and so I, that led me down different paths of different waxes and stuff and I think that I never found anything that I could tolerate the pain mm. enough of but I would want to be coming back also I'm so manic with with pubes that like I can't wait the period it needs to grow oh, back like, okay, actually, yeah. Like, oh yeah you can give it like for three to four weeks you know mm. yeah, I can't no, the whole point is that I want to feel, you know, like pussy shaven all the time. It's it's like a personal preference yeah. thing. Um, yeah, and even during quarantine, I tried. I was like, well, how do I feel if I let it grow out a lot longer? Because I wasn't fucking nobody. I was like, it's fine. Like, let me try to tolerate it myself. And I couldn't, I, I didn't like it. I didn't feel comfortable. So I'm just like, all right, back to the shaving, the awkward positions. And you never quite get it right, though. Waxes. <laughs> since I started, because I was getting a lot of, because I used to, you know, be a, you know, razor and beat every now and then I would, you know, use the beat. Um, but and beat lasted like I got like a little bit better results with it because I started using the beat in my bikini line because I would get ingrowns and everything. Um, right. So I was like, I noticed with the waxing, I was getting less ingrowns. So mm. I and I get more ingrowns with waxing than with shaving because that was the whole narrative. And I was like, oh yeah. And every single time I got a wax, I got ingrown hairs. I rarely get. I find though that the ones I get now are like worse. Like they're fewer, but they're worse because mm. I think you're just creating like an open wound essentially. <laughs> so it's right. easier for the poor to like get infected, which is like kind of gross, um, but real. Like, but this is how you keep up your body. Exactly. Like it's it's not it's not all sprinkles and magic. Okay, it's it's gory shit. Okay, mm -hmm. Put all this together. <laughs> What about you, Skittles? How are you? Um, I have been working out, so that has been giving yeah. me like a little. I worked out. I I signed up for um this thing called CampGladiator.com, where it's like these um virtual workouts that happen five days a week. Um, at different times, you can either go at like six a.m. or you could do like the happy hour. I usually do the four fifteen on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, and it's cool because every month is like a camp. So the first week is like community week. The second week is like strength and agility. The third week is like peak week and all that stuff. So um, um, I started doing that, uh, which has really boosted my like sexy and like the endorphins and all this stuff. Um, I've been feeling very mask 
<laughs> like since since uh at least in my gender expression like since like the summer started so I've been like rocking facial hair and I've been like really kind of leaning into that and I think that that's really been feeding into my confidence which has been then like translating into like me keeping up being a baddie during COVID because um it really is just about like loving on yourself and then that will be kind of what gets projected out into the world and then in terms of hair removal I am a nair girl I've been nairing lately um, I don't know if people have noticed, but like, I'm, or maybe I haven't done a video where I don't have my chest hair in, but like, I haven't had chest hair for a minute because I've been nearing and stuff. Um, but the danger with nair is possibly burning yourself. Yes. Um, and I almost burned myself on my chest like the week at the week that we, before we went to LA a couple of weeks ago. Um, I went to like nair everything, and. I almost burned my chest. And then I had like a like a, a strip of hair on my back because there was a part of my back that I couldn't reach. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like <laughs> struggling. But yeah, that's really that's really been what I've been up to. Like I know it sounds cliche, but working out has been my cute little keep yeah, up. <laughs> like you and you've been killing it too because like we have like our challenges and like our group chats and stuff and he's like every day he's like day one day two done and I'm sitting there with a pot with a piece of pie like wow <laughs> and even when we go on runs let me tell you Skittles be in his stride and I'm like oh, <laughs> this bitch <laughs> <laughs> I'm like look at him what is she chasing you me? <laughs> I don't know a whole entire army. Like, I had to go to a doctor's appointment recently, and they were like, it wasn't a doctor, it was like a wellness, uh, bo like body assessment, full body like assessment. Um, yeah. And they were like, what's your life? What's, like, what's your lifestyle looking like? And I was like, I'm not even going to lie. It's pretty sedentary right now. <laughs> I, I stretch sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to get back on it. I said that in November, I'm going to do no dairy in November, except for Thanksgiving. I am going to give myself the grace of you have to have the lactate. Take the lactate because it's going to be rough on the system. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, because girl, when we did that vegan challenge, the transition back was, my body was very clear. What you're reversing back into, bitch. You're hurt. Everything, fucking feeling of it. Anyway, so yeah, I, I, I'm gonna try to do no cheese. I'm gonna do it on Thanksgiving. No dairy or just no cheese. cheese. I'm okay, no, no, okay, no okay, dairy yeah. at all. But I feel like, especially because, like, you know, when you think about a lot of dishes, we don't really use yeah. much. Ex and we don't even really make mac and cheese. My, my sister because mm -hmm. he likes mac and cheese, but. Oh, can I have some? Okay. All right. So um, now we're going to move into our Tuta Loca Es section where we call out motherfuckers who are doing the most. So, you know, I feel like things happen on social media in waves and explosions and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, a thing is happening and it feels like it's new. But then when you do even a little bit of research, you realize that these issues aren't things that are new. They're ongoing issues that have had buildup. And there's, there was just this inciting moment. So I'm referring to Nigeria and the NSARS movement. Um, I had, I follow an Instagram page called West African. And so sometimes like every once in a while they'll like post 
a, a thing that'll talk about something that's happening in a particular country. And I always feel like, oh, that's dope. Like there, there are pages that are doing that because I don't get that anywhere else. Um, so when I saw the explosion of NSARS, I was just like, wow, like, whoa, this must be this like, un, like unprecedented thing that happened that we're, we're finally giving an African nation some more attention than we usually do. And then when I did more research and I, and I, and I was thinking about the parallels of like this idea of like, yes, abuse of power through the police. I was like, why? Like, why does this feel like new? Why weren't we like writing for each other in a way mm -hmm. not that new? You know, and that's not to damn us in a way where it's like, listen, better late than never. I think people are like learning and that's wonderful. But even myself as somebody who wants to be more informed in general, I'm like, damn, I kind of feel weird jacking it. Like, cause I definitely saw how they were uh, supporting Black Lives Matter and doing yeah. pro protests for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. So I was just kind of like, damn, that sucks. Like. I'm glad that this moment is happening in terms of us getting a, like awoken to it. But I also want us to keep that energy. Like, what are the outlets? Like, who are we going to for this news if our news outlets aren't prioritizing um, that news overseas? Anyway, I had that big surge. I'd love to hear your guys' initial reactions and seeing when that news came out. And by the way, it's not just Nigeria. There's so many other countries that are going through things so actually even before we go into it as uh, skittles and I, I i told skittles i just want to read um off some of the things that are happening in other countries because like i said we know what's happening um in nigeria more so than a lot of the other places but i don't think it is fair for us to repeat the behavior of acting like anything else that happens is a surprise no. we should be aligning as black people across the diaspora and, and understanding what our liberation movement is because we need not to be dramatic, but when you think about even our revolution of independence in this country, it came during a time where France and other places were having this revolution. And so if we are truly having a black revolution in this world, then what does that look like? And what should we not? Anyway, mm -hmm. so Skittles, if you'll take the first one. Um, pause, we're reading this one the or what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Liberia, rape has increased by 50% in Liberia during the pandemic against young women and children. Over 1,000 cases of rape have been reported within the last 10 months. Rape has been a growing issue since Liberia's 14 year civil war from 1889 to 2003. President George Way has declared rape a national emergency. In Nigeria, SARS refers to the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, a controversial Nigerian police unit that attacks, exhorts, and kills innocent youth. There have been nationwide protests demanding an end to police brutality. In Namibia, youth have been protesting demanding immediate political action on sexual gender-based violence in Namibia. There have been at least 200 cases of domestic violence reported monthly while more than 1,600 cases of rape were reported within the past two years. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, armed groups have been brutally attacking innocent civilians, causing more than 50,000 people to flee their homes. A great number of these people are children who do not have parents or guardians. Many people are becoming victims of rape, killings, kidnapping, and sexual violence. In the Ivory Coast and Ghana, there has been an increase in child labor and child trafficking in Ghana and the Ivory Coast. Children are trafficked from Burkina Faso and Mali to work in Ghana and Ivory Coast on cocoa farms as slaves. 
and in South Africa, battle, South Africa battles against gender-based violence and rape. It is an estimated that at least 40% of South African women will get raped once in their lifetime. That's crazy. So a lot of heavy shit, you know, like a lot of heavy shit. And, you know, admittedly, like I, I have an issue with the way sometimes people like to paint African nations and only yeah. talk about bad shit and only talk about poverty and all that. But I think that the importance of understanding some of these issues take the democratic Republic of, of Congo, um, some of what's happening there is actually tied to um, uh, uh, something that they're mining there that's used to build technology um, mm -hmm. and phones and like things for, for science, right? And, the mm -hmm. and so when you think of that and you're like, oh shit, that's happening, but don't think that it's just like people in the Congo were like, we're going to turn against each other as a nation and we're going to fuck each other over and kill there's mm -mm. some no, it's buying and robbing like, something and being incentivized yeah. to mm -hmm. like, and all in like global capitalism yes. you know mm -hmm. you can't really look at these countries and these conflicts outside of that you know and you can't really talk about i hate the term like underdeveloped world because it's really like overexploited that's the term mm -hmm. using um because we really can't look at these situations and examine them outside of the context of capitalism outside of the context of colonialism in particular um you know like the with sars um and you know being half nigerian myself and so i like you know have family there that i worried about but i also felt like i was um disconnected essentially from the issue until you know more recently where i just didn't quite understand the breadth of like how um far as where the corruption was. I knew, like, it was kind of just understood, I think, like, amongst the Nigerian diaspora, like, oh, yeah, the police are corrupt, like, it, you know. But, like, the SARS in particular, I, like, I didn't know how, just how bad things were. Um, and my cousin, Catherine, actually wrote, like, a really beautiful piece over the summer um, linking the the movement for black lives in this country and the legacies of colonialism and like how that kind of tied into the police brutality in nigeria um and how like we have to be thinking kind of like cross culturally pan-africanly really if we're thinking about liberation movements and what does liberation for black people look like across the world like there is you know, there is no SARS without the history of colonialism. Like that's the legacy of, of leadership, you know, mm -hmm. the legacy of policing that we um, were left with, you know, in, you know, in Nigeria, across, across the African experience, you know, across the black experience, across the world, there's a level of violence that we inherited. Um, and now I think we have to imagine our way out of, because really we have to, free our minds enough to imagine a world like what does it look like for us to care for each other communally you know what mm. does it look like to envision a world that's not so heavily reliant on police and policing mm. and prisons and you know cages and treating each other like animals how do how do we treat each other humanely there's got to be you know because clearly i think all across the world we're experiencing this like awakening we're like there has to be a better way than this because mm -hmm. it's not working and what has to happen to to make the higher ups realize that this isn't working? Because clearly, we as the as the citizens who are who are seeing it and experiencing it are coming to this awakening. But the people who are in charge are not are not. <laughs> and like, but, but 
oh, but they are. It's not working for you. For you. It's working as design. It was never designed to mm. work for, for you. you. Mm, you know, yeah. Doing just well and fine. So it's right. not, and I, and I think the reason I, I say it that way is that I think we need to start speaking in those terms. It's not, mm-hmm. what's going not on? the systems are not broken. They are working. We're not exactly. being loud enough. We're not unified enough. There's not enough numbers. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. They see it and it is working just fine. Thank you. And, yeah. you know, and so I think, and that's why I think for us, this, this sort of uh, being proactive about things. So like you were listening to some of the things and I think another thing that's important in all of that is just basic read motherfuckers we got to start reading like and i say that as somebody who often is like trying to take as much as they can from videos and stuff and sometimes i'm like yo if i really want the answers to some of the questions i'm thinking in my head i have to turn to a certain type of journalism yeah take an article and read it all (laughs) you know like and that and that that is just i think that that's just part of the beginning it's it's almost like i wish that adults had homework in the way when i was in school and we would have to like read an article from the newspaper and write like a current events current events i remember i remember having to do current events weekly but i think it's like so much of it now like i like what you said about like adults having homework because i think that we are all kind of paying for the lack of homework that like communally adults have not done. Uh, we as adults coming up now and like adults prior to us, um, and we're all kind of paying for this lack of education or this poorly constructed, or maybe not poorly constructed, constructed exactly how it was intended to, you know, mm-hmm. it serves exactly who uh, it was intended to serve, which is basically yeah. white people, you know? I wonder I wonder if I want to rephrase my question as like what do we have to do to get the older generation to realize that it's not working and less of like the people in charge because I feel like that's what the people our age are combating with the most is like this older generation that feels like there isn't something wrong and that feels like if you just march and if you just you know hold signs and scream outside of a building that this mass change is going to happen and that they feel like we're not doing it right. Or they get upset when people are rioting and, and getting a little bit more rougher and violent in their protests. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, and, and to that, my answer is, you know, y'all had a certain level that you were trying to penetrate and you had a certain level of resources and voice. We are talking, you know, years in advance where it's, it's not, not, it's not that much has changed about how white people or the system has gotten better or worse for us, but the fact that some of the loopholes, the things that like quite literally are the line between us still being literal slaves to, to this fucking yeah. country and not, that some of those slight loopholes that, that present themselves give us opportunity to be on the internet, to have voice, to be self-starters. We have a big burst of Black and Latinx entrepreneurship right now. Like these things are happening in the loopholes. And so that's different. They didn't have as much as that. They had some of that. In fact, it was was the opposite. It was something, it was a community. It was a Black community. I'm speaking to the United States specifically of a strong Black community that was built and was repeatedly torn apart because it was being built with a strong foundation even with a lack of a head start due to slavery. Like it was just a strong foundation. That's why all these TV shows that are now going back and covering some of these massacres and stuff, that stuff is important because we're taught our history almost like we've always been sitting around and like waiting for things to get better. Nothing ever gets better for us. And like we're doing liberation and being lazy and watermelon, like waiting for our welfare checks. It's not how it works. Like that's actually not the truth of who we've been. Like how, uh, how would like historically back institutions have started? Like 
how would so many things that we have been true if the narrative that the media teaches us is also true? It's because one is a lie. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. one, one is, or one is controlled, if not a complete lie. Um, so anyway, sorry, I got passionate there. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I do think that there is a way in which what they expect looks different, but their mindset, their tools were different too. And they don't necessarily all know, cause some do, cause not that all older people are on the same page, right? But like for those who don't, sometimes I think the disconnect is even like, look at their Facebook, like look at the types of memes they use. Like they're so outdated and like, oh, yeah. I, oh, these are the problems. I love like when you could tell like, like auntie grandma Twitter versus like, <laughs> the way they utilize the tools. Like an older generation is going to use the tools differently. My hope is like, I think that the best way to stay current and to keep your mind young and to keep at being active, like, and to stay on the forefront of political movements and not because my, my biggest fear is turning like 70 and 80 and being like, the youth got it all wrong because if anybody is going to inherit anything about the world that you are created, it's the youth. You should always be listening to them. I'm at the point now where I'm like, oh shit, we're not the youth anymore. Like, yeah. we're, we're young, but I have a natural instinct. I think we all do to like kind of write off Gen Z and their dumb memes and like their dumb activities that we think are dumb or whatever, but like they are, they, are carrying a torch that we aren't frankly mm -hmm. and they're the zeitgeist and they're the, they're the culture and tastemakers pretty soon and so instead of being dismissive my goal is to always have an ear for them and to always be kind of tapped into like what's going on even if i know like it's not necessarily for or about me that like that is the future talking and whether I like it or not, the future's coming. So you better get on board. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that that is just one of the things that we, as we become, a, you know, a different level of a different vanguard, you know, like, I think that that's just one of the things that we can constantly keep in mind is not being dismissive of younger voices and their experiences and what they're saying the problems are because, and being like, oh, you think you had problems. You know, we had X, X Y, and Z happened to us. Like, no, if they're having problems, that means that the work's not done. And maybe mm -hmm. it will never be done. But at least if you need to know what direction you need to be moving, you need to be listening to them. Listen to the people that are coming behind you. And they're like, here's the mess we've been left behind with. Help. You know? Yes. Ugh. Well, yeah. So guys, stay informed. Um, read up on it. Stay up on it. Um, figure out ways to get involved. I, I realized when the news broke for me, the first thing I was like is, I was like, oh, but what do I do now? Like I was going, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, so, so what do I do? Like, it's and I and I feel like that was a general mood too. Like I saw statuses where it was like, how do we help? Like, what do we do aside? And really, I guess the answer is share the information, keep it circulating. That's a part of it, and then donate. <laughs> I've never heard truer words, but they were like Nigerians. They're like people are organizing on the ground. They're like Nigerians do not need a voice for the voiceless. If Nigerians are anything, it's a voice. Okay. Mm. So anybody Nigerian, you have never, ever lacked. We have never lacked for voice as a people. <laughs> what you need to do is amplify those voices basically and listen and, you know, donate where you can and just, you know, I think continuously think about our struggles as being interconnected. Yes. You know, and getting getting your ass beat by the police is is a problem all over the world. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. That's real.
Ooh, this looks good. Oh my god, this is delicious. I definitely want to taste that. guys so now we are moving into our plate of the day we need you uncle sam says but what is it like to be black in the military mm-hmm. oh mm. adiza and 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 please give me your proper title what is your proper if i was in the <laughs> if i was in the shit what are you referring to you as i am sergeant first class jabril so what is this first class? Because I know sergeant, but like, what does it mean to be a first class sergeant? So I'm just going to briefly explain explain the rank structure, because if you don't really live in this world, you don't know what any of that means. But um, so I'm an enlisted member. I'm not an officer. Um, those are, tends to be commanders. Um, but enlisted members go from the rank of private all the way up to sergeant major. So E1 to E9. Um, the rank you're familiar with, sergeant, the E5. And that's the beginning of the NCO um core basically i'm sorry my my dog is doing something weird but she's fine (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah e5 is the rank of sergeant so i'm uh an e7 uh sergeant first class the rank in between the rank i just moved up from was staff sergeant um so i came into um the military as an e4 as a specialist um, and I joined with a bachelor's degree. So joining with a bachelor's degree generally would grant you that uh, rank. Um, so you get to skip a couple levels on the junior leadership. So once you hit NCO, non-commissioned officer, that's generally like you're coming into real leadership roles, essentially. Um, so I, yeah, so I joined the army band. And so when we joined the, when you join the band, you join the special bands, you join as an E4 at first, and you spend a couple of months as an E4, and then you rank up to E6. So I was a staff sergeant for seven years, and I just recently got promoted to sergeant first class. Amazing. Congratulations. Let's... Thank you. Thank you. That's incredible. But before all this, because I tell you, when I, when, when Skittles had mentioned that you were in the military, military for the first time, and that was new information for me, I was like, Oh really? But I love it. I love it. I I I always refer back to Cadet Kelly because that's that's literally like the the image that you get when you see if you see Adiza on Instagram versus Adiza when she's like in her like uh ACUs or her, ACUs OCPs yeah yeah all all like her, her fucking costume and shit like her uniform right it's 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 too different like it's so funny to see but yeah I'm sorry I always think about Cadet <laughs> Kelly yeah I, I, I just mean that to say like I just it was it just I would it took me aback because we said military at first the first thing I thought was like oh she's going to war like she's on the battlefield and then he's like oh no she's in the choir and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I was just like, I didn't. Because you can hear me saying it now. Nah, she's in the choir. <laughs> I just had this conversation with my grandmother because when I was telling her about uh, getting picked up for promotion and everything, and she was like, you know, she was just, we were talking about it. She's like, I'm so proud of you. And, you know, whenever, when you, when I first heard that you were joining the army, I, she like panicked. And she was like, she figured I was, you know, going to be deploying and stuff. And she was shocked. A lot of people were shocked when I said I was joining the army and military in general, because if you know me, if you knew me, like no one saw that coming. Again, no plans, just vibes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like just be- feeling it out day to day. And um, so I just kind of ended up on, on this particular ride. But I, 
like the military was never a, an aspiration or a plan of mine ever at all whatsoever. So yeah, this shocked a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> but what is that story like? Because you literally fell into it. Like yeah, I was gonna say, what was your relationship with the military and perception of the like before you even started? And then I'm eager to hear the story. Yeah. So when I was an undergrad, I um, my the person I was dating at the time, their mother. Um, was in the band. She was a singer as well. And I, you know, at the time had no aspirations. I had no desire to really join the military or join the army bands or anything in the military band. Um, but I just knew that it was an option, which generally is kind of interesting to me because I'm like, well, that doesn't mean that, that means that there's not, there's a whole, like you shouldn't have to be dating somebody to know that like mm -hmm. <laughs> this avenue exists, you know? Um, but I, around graduating, the time to graduate, senior year came and um, an, uh, an audition was opening up, a spot opened up, so we were having auditions. And she had been like, oh, you need to audition, you need to audition. I was just like, I don't know about the military. Mm, I, don't, I don't think so. And I kept kind of putting it off. And then like graduation was really coming around. I was like, damn, I gotta do some auditions. Like, <laughs> I got a job. And so I just did, took this audition. I sent in a packet and uh, got called back and I was like you know I did not expect to win it I was like I'm just here again for the vibes I was like <laughs> you know to see what happens to get some more audition experience under my belt lo and behold I, I won so I that day I had to like call my parents and be like so I got a job um, <laughs> I have to join the army though <laughs> <laughs> And they were just like, everybody was just like, what the hell is going on? Like, what is going on? And I was like, okay, good question. Let me. <laughs> um, and yeah, and basically when I, you know, kind of like laid it all on the table, basically the army, um, all the military branches essentially have bands. Like the army has a, a bunch of division bands, like bands all over the country and all over the world. Um, and that's a different MOS. It's a different job title, um, 42 Romeo. Um, but then the, all the military branches have special bands that are stationed in and around the DC area and were permanently stationed. So like the division bands, like they move a bunch, like they kind of live like the more traditional army lifestyle, like every two, three years, you're picking up your PCS and you're going somewhere else. Uh, the special bands are, uh, basically a bit more professionalized, the, everybody, um, like the, the level of musicianship, the level is a little bit is higher because you are expected to come in at a certain level of musicianship already. It's what gets us the rank that we do so quickly. It's why we skip over so many people to go straight to special, straight to E6. Like generally in the army, that would take you about 10 years to get mm. to. You know? e That's crazy. Yeah, but the, the, the thing is, it's like we don't, after we go to basic training, after basic training, there's normally like AIT. So we're, that's where you would go ship off to learn your job. We don't do that. We go straight to work. Mm. So most of us come right to our units. Um, most of us come in with at least a bachelor's degree. Uh, um, many of us have music degrees. Not everybody. Uh, it's not a requirement, but it's just kind of the norm. Mm -hmm. um, so because we come in with a certain level of experience already and the army doesn't have to spend a bunch of money to teach you how to do your job yeah you come with a certain level of expertise so they kind of rank you as such um so the lowest rank in the special bands is e6 mm -hmm. you go from e6 to e9 all the conductors they are the officers so they move around every few years but we as the enlisted as the musicians we are permanently stationed so i've been 
um, stationed here in Virginia, right outside DC for the past seven years, which is very long. Mm. <laughs> stationed in one place um, in the rest of like, that's unheard of in the rest of the military, but it's like kind of the only place where you can um, basically do your job and like be in the same place the length of your career, 20, 30 years, as long as you, as long as you stay. Mm. Yeah. Basic training look like for you? Like, were you doing physical stuff? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, we go to we go to basic like whatever. So you know how to shoot a gun? Fuck out of here. I learned all about the M16, the saw, the yeah, like all of that. Um, we go. I I was in basic training with all these other soldiers, generally like 17 and 18 year olds. I was 21 when I went to basic, which is still young, but I felt so old because wow. everyone around me was like fresh out of high school. <laughs> my oh my best God. friend, my battle at basic was, um, she's now a staff sergeant. I think she just got promoted to E6, staff sergeant Hamilton. Um, but she was 35. She had turned 35 in basic. She was from Brooklyn. We shipped together and we were like thick as thieves the whole time. Cause we were like, these kids are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's me and you. Okay. Like, yeah. um, but we, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're in there with all these, you know, younger kids basically coming in fresh out of high school and you're doing everything that they do we you are up at four or five in the morning doing pt in the morning ruck marches learning to shoot weapons uh learning customs and courtesies learning drill and ceremony all that cadet kelly stuff (laughs) i'm speaking of cadet kelly i wrote you a letter and put glitter in it and almost got you in trouble, right? Oh, die. Almost, almost, almost. He sent me, so I still have all these letters. I still have, like, that's one of my favorite possessions. Like, I have a whole big old envelope of all the letters I got sent. Because you can't, you don't have your phone. You don't have your phone for nine, ten weeks, essentially. Um, so letters are, like, your lifeline. Like, getting mail at the end of the day was, like, oh, it was, like, the best part of the day. And, like, when mail came and you didn't get any mail, it was, like, always kind of a bummer. But, <laughs> But I usually got mail because I had so many people writing me at Skittles, writing me at my parents and my friends and my ex at the time. Like I had just so many people writing me all the time. And so I, when he sent me a letter that was full of glitter and I opened it on my freshly made bed, drill sergeant approved bed. And I'm just like, oh, letter. No. <laughs> And I know he said it because we had a joke about like every girl deserves to sparkle. Yep. <laughs> That's what he wrote. And I know he thought he was being so, so sweet. And I like opened it and I was like, I'm going to kill him when I get out of here. Don't <laughs> <laughs> to kill him. <laughs> and did you get in trouble? No, I somehow, me and my, me and Hamilton, I was like, we got to get this glitter off this bed right now. <laughs> Both of us just like, <laughs> Shake out the blanket, shake out the blanket, sweep, 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 flip the blanket over. <laughs> Crazy. Listen, nuts. it's all about the memories. <laughs> I mean, basic training is funny. Like, I tell people now when they're going, especially, like, when you're joining the band, it's like, just think of it. It's, you got to get through it, and then you come here, you get to do your crazy, cool, glamorous at times job. Um, but you come out of it, it's character building, and you come out of it with stories that you can dine out on for the rest of your life. So... <laughs> So you, you, you talk, it's, it's so interesting to me when I hear people talk about the military with so much love and stuff. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your first impressions being in the space and like how maybe some of what you perceived of the military changed over time. Oh yeah. Um, 
you know, when I first started, when I was first considering joining and like going through the process, I was like, what does this mean? And I think I had a very, um, like there's not a lot of military history about background in my family. My uncle, one of my uncles served in the Navy and he was always very proud of his service, you know? Uh, it's like a big part of who he is. But aside from him, like I had never really known anybody who had served and not served like recently. Um, and so, and I think I had this meant this idea in my head. I think patriotism and nationalism have gotten very become like one in the same and gotten very wrapped up in each other in this country. And so unfortunately, like the I like the military tends to be co-opted by a lot of like some of the worst people, <laughs> frankly, in this mm. country who want to speak for us and you know everything is support the troops and everything is, but then you know they go behind the troops backs and vote for things that you know hurt the troops. And you know, I think they kind of hold us up as a symbol of what it means to be American, but it, it's not always a very inclusive definition, if you understand what I mean. Like it's not, um, and I think that that's what I, like that, that's a story I had in my head that like the military, I didn't feel connected to it in any way. I didn't feel like it had anything to do with me. Um, because, you know, like the communities I came from, you know, black and brown and queer and immigrants. And I just didn't feel like, anything in the in the military stories that were being told in the military about the military had much to do with where I was from and who I was from um, or who I was. So going in, I was kind of nervous about that. And I was shipping off to, you know, Oklahoma <laughs> to do basic training at Fort Sill. And, you know, it was a part of the country I coming from New York city and just, I've never been to, I'd never seen myself going to for any particular reason. Um, and one of the things that I learned was like how vast the military is and how truly diverse, like the military as a whole, like there are people from every walk of life. Um, some areas of life are a little bit more overrepresented than others for sure. Um, but like there, the beauty of it, I think is that like, it really does encompass a lot of like what the American experience is supposed to be. Like everybody is there, black, white, Asian, Latino, gay, you know, trans, like everybody's here. We're a small population, we're a small portion of the country, but we are very representative of the country, if that makes sense. Um, and so that helped like, that helps me, especially because my unit, which is, you know, we're working on this now, my unit's not very diverse at all. It's predominantly white men. And it's something that we're trying to address and like figure out how we get more, you know, faces of color and women like in the doors through the auditions. How do we get people to understand that like opportunities like this exist in the military? And, you know, I think about it all the time. Like when I, when I go to work, like I'm carrying, I'm representing y'all, you know, like I'm representing you know, New York City, I'm representing all, you know, halal cards in the one train. And like, <laughs> you know, like, that's like, that's a story that I think, you know, when people talk about America and representing American, real American, I'm like, that is the real America to me. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think there's, there's a part of us, like that, that just means a lot to me is like reclaiming the, what it means to be American. Because I think there's a, a dog whistle that kind of gets blown a lot when people are talking about real America and real Americans and 
you know, the heartland and stuff. And I'm like, that's not my experience at all. But like, you're not going to tell me you're more American than me when I have to wear this uniform every day, you know? Right. And I wonder, and I, I love that you said that about the diversity in the military, because I often sit with myself and I wonder like, is the military actually an inclusive place? Because you think about when you were talking about how like people use the lingo and supporting troops and stuff. Like when you hear the government talking about policy and yes, I'm talking specifically about Trump and some of the, you know, fucking transphobic policies that he's tried to, to, to reinforce. I, I wonder like, what makes it so easy? Like, is this system such a system that is super inclusive and it's actually a happy camp that's being misrepresented? Or, or are there things that are problematic in the, in the military, even outside of just like the idea of war itself and if we should be in war yeah. and invading countries? I'm curious. Your yeah. It's not, I, would, I wouldn't go so far as to say like, oh, everything's fine here. This is the utopia. This is what, you know, the American, this is what America's supposed to be. Like it, there are significant, you know, cultural issues that we are kind of facing down every single day. And then the military is kind of, it's, you know, it's a, a large old culture. And I always think about like trying to, when you're trying to like turn, imagine trying to like turn a giant yacht, you know, you're mm. not, you know, like it's like culture change, uh, culture shift is slow, but it, it is happening. It's happened since I've been in, you know, and that's, that's something that's made me, um, that's been really heartening to see. And also it's, you know, as younger people keep coming in, that's one of the more interesting things is like the military threat, like younger people are its blood, are its lifeblood. You know, the youth are what keep this thing running. And so you come in with different ideas about what it means to be a person in the world. So you can't ignore it. You can't ignore them, like I was saying before, like that's the future. And if you don't want to get left behind, you don't want to get left behind, you better get right with it. Mm -hmm. so would you say that the tone is like of the military and I know like you're in, in a specific section so it's not even like a blanket state yeah I can't speak for the whole military uh, but but is it like pro-Trumpy because I guess I guess because of the way the image is, is toted mm -hmm. it makes it seem as though being an employee of the military of the army or whatever is to subject yourself to have to be at yielding to anything that is Trumpist whether you agree to or not. and I feel like that is a big conception that people have though of yeah, it's a, it's a misconception. The thing about the military is the military is an apolitical organization. We are not political. Like that, mm. you're constantly trying to get people to understand. And then there are times we kind of get roped into things. We're like, oh, like this is not what we're, we're not, we're supposed to be representing, not what we do. And again, people, you know, use the military again for their own means and their own agendas. But the military itself is not a political organization. It has, it is completely apolitical. Now we answer to our civilian leaders. And we answer to whoever is president at the time, whether you like them or not, you know, whether, mm -hmm. you know, um, but again, the president is not a king, <laughs> you know? And so when they tried to, you know, when he did that, you know, tweet where it was like, are trans people not welcome in the military? And I'm like, that's not true. Like we had just recently before that been having trainings about, um, being trans in the military and like what that experience is like and how to help your you know trans soldiers if you have a soldier that's transitioning and like how to support them and like you know what's kosher and what's not um and basically like that's you know there's the thing about the military is that there's so there's so much bureaucracy that even though he is was the commander-in-chief like that tweet didn't undo you know that doesn't undo the years of people service or it doesn't undo all that training and everything it just it kind of threw us for a loop um mm -hmm. but like it's not 
that wasn't like, oh, this is now law. Like, and I believe it was pushed back on by the Pentagon and um, yeah, but I, I, I do think it's, it's hard when you're in and you want to like let people know, you know, who you are, who we are as people and who we are as, you know, your, like the, your service members um, that we're, you know, we're not Democrat and we're not Republican. I mean, personally, <laughs> you might be, you know, per, like your personal political views are totally valid, but like as an organization, like that's not what we're about, you know? And I think that that gets kind of lost sometimes. So then if, if, if what would, what, like if there were things that you would hope could change about the military, whether it's in your specific sector or just the organization overall, what are some of those changes? So my, um, so I'm now on um, the Army Band's diversity, equity and inclusion team. Um, and so one of our goals, again, I, I touched on this earlier, but one of our goals is to get the bands, the special bands in particular, to look like the rest of the army. <laughs> mm. Because it's really um, kind of problematic, you know, to look at, you know, to see these like, first of all, like they're, I always say our jobs are some of the best kept secrets of the military, you know, yeah. like, people don't know that we exist. And that's generally mm. a lot of, like we do a lot of public outreach, a lot of community concerts and stuff, but we kind of exist to serve the upper leadership in the Washington area, you know? Yeah, can you speak a little bit, actually, now that you're on that point, can you go a little deeper about like, yes, you're in a band or in the choir, but like what, like, why does the army even have? <laughs> so I would think of, I think of our, um, our units and units like ours, like we're basically an arm of soft diplomacy, you know? And so like, it's not uncommon for us to go into like the chief of staff um, or the chairman of the joint chiefs will have a dinner, you know, and with diplomats and leaders, military leaders, civilian leaders from people all over the world, you know, and I don't quite know what that dinner is about or what they're discussing, but I come in there at times or I'm, you know, I'm called in with the army strings or with the army voices to do a quartet or something and to kind of provide music for that meal or for that interaction. And so basically kind of uh, soften the butter, basically, you know, <laughs> we're easy, we're, we're lubing up the room <laughs> you know? and like easing any tensions or just creating a human connection, you know? And so I like to think that, you know, I don't know this, maybe I'm making my job sound more important than it is, but I like to think that maybe there are wars that we prevent <laughs> when people come and they hear their national anthem sung so beautifully at them, you know, or they're, you know, we are singing and then we get other people to sing along with us and to have this like moments of like human connection, you know, with these heads of state, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you know, maybe that's a conflict that we can, that we managed to avoid now because there's been an, an element of humanity brought into the room where it's not just all about, you know, the uniform and, you know, and the conflicts that arise. Um, yeah, so we, you know, we're also an arm of, of, of like community outreach about like connecting the community to the army, you know? So that when people see, you know, soldiers, but not just, visuals of like soldiers holding weapons, you know, or, you know, diving out of helicopters and stuff, but like holding a microphone or holding mm. a car, like that's something that people can relate to, you know? And then it's like, oh, 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 they're people, they're people just like us. And not only are they people, they're experts. They're mm. professionals of what they do, you know? Like they're, they're not just like Joe Schmoes that we just pull off the road and we're like, here, 
have a guitar. I hope it sounds good. Like, no, when you, when you come and see us, you're going to, oh, they're really good. Mm-hmm. Do there. And does that mean that they're also really good at everything else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All these other jobs? Like, is that the level of training that is, you know, the level of excellence that is expected of, you know, that we can come to expect of our military? And so that's kind of, you know, that's, you know, one of the many reasons, but I think those are some of the most important. It's really about building community relationships and then building, like, helping facilitate relationships and communicate certain things about our culture and about who we are to the rest of the world. Yeah, I wish that you guys were able to do things like what I was, I had the pleasure of having Adiza visit my classroom one one year. And um, she actually visited like my worst class, but <laughs> that ended up having the, being the one class that um, had a student of mine who they used to call him army bound because like he was just like dead set about going to the army. And then I remember as he grew older, there was some reason, I don't know if it was eyesight or something that was that was like said that that was not going to be the path that he was going to go on. But I still even was encouraging him to look into like, the army band and stuff like that, because he, that was the first time that he was exposed to this idea that he could follow that career path, go into the army and still do something that he really was passionate about, which was music. Um, Because you don't hear about that at all, especially when, you know, you're a high school in the South Bronx and they do send the recruiters there, but they're not advertising. Often the recruiters don't even know about they might know about division bands and stuff but like the special bands and i think i think it's really important again the diversity aspect too is like it doesn't look great when one of your i i I hesitate to say better but frankly better opportunities that the military has to offer if you want a um a relatively stable life as a creative as a musician like a lot of my colleagues like we have you know you could we buy homes in the area, you can build a family here, you're not subject to like having to pick up and move every two and three years. And so you get a certain amount of stability where you can teach on the outside, you can gig on the outside, as long as you meet your army obligations, the rest of the time, your life is yours to kind of use a mold as you want, which is a, a little, frankly, a little bit different than the, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a typical military experience at all. So when people ask me like, what's it like to be in the army? I'm like, I, I'm not the example. I'm not I'm <laughs> to the rule. I can tell you about my experience, but it doesn't look great. I don't think when most of these opportunities, it looks like most of these opportunities go to white men, you know, mm-hmm. and then it's like, oh, but the rest of the army looks like us, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, and. And even watching that like promotional ceremony, when you did get promoted to Sergeant first class, you were the only black woman and you were the only person of color in the, in the whole lineup. Um, so I don't know. I look forward to your influence being that, that brings more diversity onto that stage so that we have more black Sergeant first classes. <laughs> working hard. We're trying really. And it's going to be, like I said, it's not going to be like an overnight. I think there's a lot of like, I think now that we're kind of having these cultural conversations in cultural institutions across the country, right? Like diversity is suddenly really important. And it's like, <laughs> honestly, like, we want to see more faces of color like today or tomorrow. Like, how <laughs> happen? 
but these kind of cultural changes are slow, you know, and it's, it's, it's continuous work and it's going to be generational work. It'll probably, you know, I'm hoping that things by the time I retire look very different than they do now. I don't expect them to look completely different tomorrow, next month, or even next year, but I'm hoping, you know, when I hit 20 years, when I'm ready to move on to something else that I leave something behind me, that's like, all right, this is, we're, we're making, we're making good progress. And talk a little bit about that. So, cause that was the question that we like sidetracked from with like, what, if you could change something, what would you hope to see change? Yeah, I, I frankly, I just want to see more faces of color in the special bands programs. I want to see the special bands look like the rest of the army. Mm. I think it is, you know, we're often, um, we're considered like you know, they, people were told all the time we're like the ambassadors for the army we're ambassadors for the american people and i'm like cool then why don't we look like it mm -hmm. like, why is that like why do we look the way we do this has nothing to do with the rest of the country you know and it's very easy for people to write off if all it looks like is just like a jam club for white boys you know <laughs> like, that's that's not the the direction that the country's moving it's not the it's not the content i think that many people are clamoring for right now. And so I would love to just see the bands move to really prioritize that and really, you know, not see it as like a, um, I guess culturally, yeah, not see it as like something we have to check the box to do because we do a ton of training in the army. There's always something we have to train, right? We always got to do some kind of training. I don't want it to be seen as like, we're checking the box. Look, we met a quota, but to see you know, having a truly diverse ensemble, truly diverse uh, unit as a strength, mm -hmm. and a lack of diversity as a weakness, you know, it's a first understand that like the mix is what's going to make you better. It's what's going to make this place stronger. It's what's going to make us more relatable. It's what's going to draw people closer to us because more people will be able to see themselves here. Yeah. So should others join? This is a kind of a good and like heavy question. I would say, I'm not gonna say yes and I'm not gonna say no. Joining the military is a big decision. I'm not gonna pretend that like it is for everybody and that everybody should do it. I can't even speak to what the rest, like the rest of the experience of the army is really like because my experience is so different. Mm -hmm. um, what I do say when people are considering it, the military is full of opportunities if you are you know, willing to like, if you know where to look, if you know how you want to use your time in, and if you go in with a plan, um, you can get a lot out of it, you know, education benefits, housing benefits, there's just, uh, you know, training and just broadening your resume, there's a lot that you can get out of it. But it also comes with a lot of risks, and mm -hmm. a lot of potential areas that could, I don't know, that might not benefit you. So you need to you need to really think about what it is you want to do, what it is you want to get out of it. Is there a way that you can do what you want to do outside of the military? And if mm. that is going to be better for you, because again, joining the military, it comes with a level of sacrifice that I um, can't really stress enough. Like you're going to, at some point in time, be far away from family and friends your work is going to keep you from family and friends for some reason. Um, you aren't able to do all the things your civilian friends can do, frankly. <laughs> uh, like wear nail polish, <laughs> like, you know, there are certain things that like, you're just not gonna be able to, to move 
the way that you did in your civilian life? Are you willing to give certain things up? And if you are, if you know the sacrifices don't outweigh the benefits, and you have a clue about like where you want to take it, then like sure. If not, if you're not quite sure exactly what that's going to look like for you or what you want to do, think on it. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't recommend anybody just join lightly because it's not it's it's a big decision, you know. And at times it it could it could mean your life, you know, depending on what your job is, depending on the needs of the army, it very much could, you know, mean the ultimate sacrifice. So really you have to think uh, very broadly and you really need to think about your specific situation and how, what you need, what you want to get out of your experience. So I'm not gonna say yes, I'm not gonna say no. Great. Yeah, and I mean, and I asked, and, and I, and I, I talked, when I was at WeWork and I would talk about like, yeah, being in corporate America, there's like the answer for the general answer. And then there's the answer if a black person is asking. Black mm-hmm. person is saying, what is the space? How do I enter it? Do I fit in? And like that honest answer. And so I think that's fair. Like, you know, it's not yes and it's not yet and it's not no. And I think the biggest takeaway I've gotten from what you've said today is just the way that the, so, the way media and, how, and just the narratives that we hear about the army are so associated to politics, mm-hmm. it's hard for people like me, admittedly, I'm, I'm the person, right? Who to, to really dive into this military culture. And even like, I support our troops, but it's like, I support the people, fuck the institution has always been my mentality. It's like, I have family that is of this institution. So like, I love people and like the same way they're my, I have family, other people have family you know, they're just fucking civilians here. It's the institution. And so I struggle so much. And I always wonder, like, is is the army an institution that's taking care of Black people? Like, you know, like, are they doing a good job with us? But it also sounds like you're in such a particular area that's, and, and even in thinking about what I'm talking about, a lot of those times I'm talking about people who are literally like at war in, in the battlefield and like the conditions of war and PTSD. And that's not to say that there's no room for people in other departments to experience some of that. But I'm saying like my relationship, once I think army, I think somebody in the middle of a fucking battle. Right. And like mm-hmm. not getting taken care of. And that's all I think about. So it becomes difficult for me to hear this, but it sounds like you're saying it's a balance and it's really about where you're at. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's so many, so many different stories to be told about being in the army, about the about the military in general. There's just so many different experiences, and I think it's important when you let me like try and hear as many as possible, so that one doesn't become the dominant narrative. And I think it's important to remember that like the military is just like it is an institution, but it's also just made up of people. Yeah, and people are liquid, and people are fluid, and people are constantly changing, and so the military is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. You know, slow as it may be. It is changing. <laughs> mm. and, and I think what would be great is to your point of recruitment centers and stuff, if they, I don't know what the, I'm not here to fix the, the military. Though <laughs> <laughs> US Army, if you, or or Navy, whichever fucking thing, if y'all want to hire me to do a rebrand. Outreach, like I'm great at that. I'm great at outreach strategies. Um, so I, I just wished, like, I think about even us, or at least myself when I was a kid and I first heard of LaGuardia and it was like hearing about all these things. And it was kind of like, whoa, that's crazy. I didn't know about any of this, but there was an excitement about a space that was artistic. Um, I wonder if there's a way that in recruitment, we can talk about these other things that aren't just about fighting because I 
and mm-hmm. it then lends itself to my theory around how they poach our communities for the bodies to put on the front line. And so, mm-hmm. but if, if, but I, but maybe I think that because I don't see them poaching for any other reason. I don't know these things to exist for any other reason except for signing them up and putting them in the front line. So I wonder well, if the army the- could do them with that. Army, if you're listening. <laughs> No, that is something that's a really important, you know, because I see that conversation happening more and more online about like recruitment and recruitment tactics, you know, in poor black and brown neighborhoods versus like recruitment tactics in white neighborhoods or lack of recruitment tactics, you know, like what are, what is our experience, you know, um, what, what does our, our, what do our first interactions look like with the military versus like, what does a, you know, kid from Beverly Hills interaction with the military look like, you know, mm-hmm. it might be different, you know? Um, and again, I think it's just really important that, you know, if we're so represented in, you know, the ranks that get, get put into like the really dangerous situations, you know? And I'm like, then we should have as much representation in the kind of plushy jobs, you know, and the mm-hmm. kind of, you know, and most of the jobs in the military are combat. Mm. Like that's something that I don't think people a lot of a lot of people realize. Like a lot, like most of the jobs are not uh, combat related. You might be ta- you might be attached to a combat unit at some point, but you're not actually in an actually an infantry person. You know. So there's literally, I know this, one of our speaking points, there's 151 MOSs, there are 151 job options in the military, um, including mine. So I think just more knowledge about who we are, you know, what the options are. And just letting people know, like, we're here and we're something different. Yeah. Yes. And you're serving this country and we appreciate y'all. And we thank you yes. for the service that you do give. I'm really grateful that you came on here today to talk about this experience and such, shed some light. Um, Isa, yes. where can we find you? Drop all the shout find- outs. Yes, you can find me on the Instagrams. I am Django Jane. That's D J A N G O uh, dot Jane dot Jabril J I B R I L. Um, yeah, on Instagram, on Twitter, I'm at Jesus Christ D I Z U S C H R I S T. I just started tweeting more, so I be tweeting sometimes too. You know. Yeah, she got a Twitter. She be tweeting. <laughs> I feel like Facebook is the close like circle, like group of people. You be be writing shit sometimes too. I do, I do. I am, yes, I'm on Facebook as well. And I'm, um, I guess I could plug, but that's just my name, Adiza Jabril. So I tend to not accept a lot of strangers. Oh yeah, oh no, no, I just- Oh no, no. Oh no, no, that wasn't me trying to get you to get followed. That was me trying to get you to Yes, definitely check out Vino and Grievances. Yeah, I was trying to get (laughs) it. <laughs> I'm plugging myself also because I haven't been I haven't written as much lately and I really need to get back on top of it. But Vino and Grievances Vino and Grievances That's where a lot of my writing lives. And um I'm about to get back on top of it and start tip tapping, type it fast again because my spirit needs it, you know? And yes. Kittles, where can they find us? Yes, you guys can find us at Ladies Who Brunch on Instagram, Ladies Brunch on Twitter, Ladies Who Brunch on Facebook, at Julissa on Instagram, and at The Real Skittles with a Z at the end on Instagram for me. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. And until next time, but on chase.